This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's a peculiar allure to monotony, the comfort of predictable patterns. But even the most familiar routine can stretch your sanity thin. You need a break. That's what I kept telling myself as I packed up my old Land Rover with essentials. Dog food for Max, my faithful Labrador, a stack of books I'd been meaning to read, and enough warm clothes to keep a polar bear cozy. I'd lived in the city all my life, and teaching sociology at the university had always kept me tethered to its bustling rhythm. But recently, the city's symphony of sirens and subway rumbles had grated on my nerves. The noise of urban existence grew louder with each passing day. I yearned for silence, for the solitude only nature could offer. I chose Shiverpoint, a small town nestled in the mountain range a few hours away from the city. A picture of the cozy Airbnb cabin, nestled between snow-laden trees with a promise of calm, convinced me to click Book Now. Max wagged his tail with the same enthusiasm he'd show for a steak dinner when I asked, You up for an adventure, boy? As I pulled away from the comforts of my city life, the familiar landscape of steel and glass morphed into a collage of rustic hues. Max stuck his head out of the window, his eyes sparkling with joy as he took in the new scents carried by the cool breeze. I smiled. The tension I didn't realize I'd been carrying seemed to lift. This was going to be good for both of us. The deeper we delved into the wilderness, the more the city felt like a distant memory. Here I could hear the wind whistling through the trees, the gravel crunching under the tires, the quiet purr of the Land Rover's engine. Max laid his head on my lap, his trusting eyes meeting mine. I was bringing him into unfamiliar territory, but he didn't seem to mind. In fact, he seemed excited, ready for whatever lay ahead. We reached Shiver Point late in the afternoon, the orange rays of the setting sun casting long shadows over the quaint town. The cabin was exactly as it was in the pictures. Perfect. Max and I got out, stretching our legs and taking in the sight of our home for the next couple of weeks. As night fell, I lit a fire in the cabin's fireplace. Max sprawled out on the rug, the flickering flames reflected in his watchful eyes. I cooked a simple dinner and we ate together. There was a feeling of contentment in the air. The city's noise was finally fading from my ears, replaced by the serene symphony of the wilderness. Later, I sat in the armchair by the window, one of my books open in my lap, Max snoring softly by my feet. Through the window, I could see the first flakes of snow beginning to fall, catching the moonlight as they blanketed the ground. A blizzard was forecasted, they'd said, but I wasn't worried. In the safety of our cabin, it felt like a fresh adventure an unexpected thrill in our tranquil retreat. The first day was ending, 
and our adventure was just beginning. Little did I know, the next few weeks would not be the peaceful escape I had imagined. But at that moment, watching the snowfall, with Max by my side, I felt at peace. Morning light seeped in through the cabin's rustic wood-paneled windows, rousing me from a sleep deeper than I had experienced in months. Max was already up, his tail thumping against the hardwood floor, eager to begin our first full day in Shiver Point. After breakfast, we set out to explore the surrounding wilderness. The landscape was a masterpiece, snow-clad pines stretching toward the sky, their branches laden with fresh snow from last night's flurries. Max took off, darting around in the pristine white blanket, a black speck in a world of white. His playful exuberance made me laugh. The worries of my life back home felt a world away. On our way back to the cabin, we walked through the small town. Shiver Point was a close-knit community of log cabins and stone houses, interspersed with a few shops. The townspeople seemed friendly. They waved, their faces etched with genuine warmth, as if we were familiar visitors rather than city strangers. One of them, an elderly woman named Martha, even invited us in for a cup of hot chocolate. While I sipped the sweet, warm drink, Max was treated to a few dog biscuits, which he accepted graciously. We spent the rest of the day getting to know our temporary home. The cabin was a delightful mix of old-world charm and modern comforts. Exposed wooden beams crisscrossed the ceilings, antique furniture filled the rooms, and a stone fireplace took center stage in the living area. Yet, the modern kitchen and cozy bedrooms with their plush linens offered all the comfort we needed. The wooden deck at the back of the cabin offered an unobstructed view of the thick woods stretching into the distance. As night descended, I prepared dinner in the well-equipped kitchen, while Max kept me company, watching me from his spot by the fireplace. We dined together, sharing stories as if he could understand every word. Maybe he did. Max had always been an excellent listener. After dinner, I settled into the armchair with another book. The fire crackled in the hearth, casting dancing shadows on the log walls. Max snuggled up by my feet, his soft snores a comforting lullaby in the tranquil night. Outside, the temperature dropped, the frost crystallizing on the window panes. The forecast had warned of another blizzard, but inside our cozy sanctuary, I felt nothing but warmth and peace. The isolation of Shiver Point was soothing. There were no urgent emails to respond to, no traffic to curse, no endless drone of city life, just me, Max, and the serene wilderness. The calm I had sought seemed to be within my grasp. As the fire burned low, I looked over at Max, peacefully asleep, and thought about how fortunate we were to experience this quiet corner of the world. As my eyes grew heavy, I closed my book and stoked the fire one last time before heading to bed. The wind howled outside, picking up strength, signaling the impending blizzard. I felt a strange thrill at the thought of being snowed in, isolated from the rest of the world. As I drifted off to sleep, the peaceful silence was broken only by the wind's icy song. It was our second day in Shiver Point, and the real adventure was yet to begin. I woke up to a world turned white. Through the frosted window panes, I could see that the blizzard had come overnight, blanketing everything in its path with a thick layer of snow. It was still falling, the flakes dancing and whirling in the gusty wind, painting a breathtaking but daunting scene. Max looked up at me, his eyes filled with curiosity as I pulled on my boots and jacket. The door creaked open under the weight of the accumulated snow. The biting cold hit us instantly, causing us both to recoil. 
Max was hesitant, but a gentle nudge and the promise of adventure coaxed him outside. We ventured out into the white abyss, Max trudging through the snow while I shoveled a path from the cabin to the shed where I'd stored firewood. The task was strenuous in the bitter cold, but necessary. If the storm persisted, we would need all the firewood we could get to stay warm. Once back inside, I prepared a hearty breakfast and fed Max. I called the local station on the cabin's landline, hoping for some news about the blizzard, but all I got was static. The lines were probably down. We were cut off from the outside world. I felt a twinge of unease, but shrugged it off. We had supplies to last a week or more, and hopefully the storm would pass soon. The day passed slowly. The blizzard showed no sign of letting up. Max and I spent the day huddled by the fireplace, reading and napping intermittently. Even Max seemed subdued, unnerved by the intensity of the storm. As the sun began to set, the wind howled more ferociously. The cabin creaked and groaned under its assault. And then, amidst the tumult of the storm, we heard it. A low, ominous growl that echoed around the cabin. Max's ears perked up, his body stiffening. I tried to soothe him, telling myself it was just the wind. But a nagging feeling in the back of my mind suggested otherwise. The growl came again, louder this time, seeping into the cabin, making the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. I dismissed it as the sound of the storm, but the unease lingered. Max was unusually alert, his eyes darting around the room, his ears tuned to the slightest sound. His unusual behavior unsettled me. The temperature inside the cabin began to drop, so I threw more logs into the fireplace, cranking up the portable heater as well. Despite the heat, a chill seemed to seep into my bones. An uncanny sensation of dread took hold of me. I tried to shake it off, telling myself it was just the storm and isolation playing tricks on my mind. The storm raged on outside as we settled in for the night, the cabin our only refuge against the furious elements. I made sure all the doors and windows were securely fastened and drew the heavy curtains shut. The eerie growl echoed again, causing Max to growl in response. I reassured him, and myself, that it was just the wind, just the wind. Yet that night, sleep was elusive, and I could not shake the feeling that we were no longer alone in our snowbound retreat. As dawn broke, the blizzard had worsened. The snow now piled up against the cabin's windows, allowing only a faint, eerie glow to filter through. Max paced around restlessly, his anxiety mirroring my own. He'd occasionally pause, ears pricked, as if he were listening for that strange growl we had heard the previous night. The day went by with the eerie quiet only a storm of this magnitude can bring. I spent most of it gathering firewood from the shed, rationing our food supplies and trying to keep Max calm. But even as we busied ourselves, the odd menacing growl would cut through the winds howling at intervals, raising goosebumps on my skin and causing Max to whimper. It wasn't just the growl that unnerved me. There were also scratches deep grating sounds like claws raking against the cabin's wooden exterior. They seemed to come from all directions, first the front door, then the back, and at times, from the windows. Max barked at every noise, his eyes wide with fear, his hackles raised. Each scratch was like a jolt to my nerves, fueling the unsettling feeling that we were not alone. That night, the growls and scratches escalated. They were loud, close, real. I strained my ears, tried to convince myself it was the wind or the cabin settling under the weight of the snow. But deep down, 
I knew it wasn't. I could almost feel the presence of something out there in the storm, something that watched us, stalked us. Max felt it too. I could see it in his eyes. In the cold, flickering light of the fire, we huddled together, keeping vigil. My heart pounded in my chest every time I heard a noise. I tried to rationalize, to attribute the sounds to wildlife seeking shelter from the storm. But the growls were too sinister, the scratches too deliberate. In the small hours of the morning, a particularly loud growl echoed through the cabin, accompanied by a thud against the back door. Max and I jumped, startled. He growled back, a deep, threatening rumble I had never heard him make. The noise had come from the door leading to the deck, the one overlooking the vast, snow-covered forest. I grabbed the fireplace poker, its cold iron providing some comfort. My breath hitched as I approached the door, Max by my side on high alert. The door was secure, no signs of damage. Relief washed over me. Maybe I was just overreacting. Maybe it was just the storm. But as I turned to go back to the warmth of the fireplace, my eyes landed on something that made my blood run cold. On the glass pane of the door, obscured by the frost, were marks. Deep, claw-like scratches. They were etched into the frost, looking terrifyingly deliberate. A shiver ran down my spine. We were not alone. Something was out there, trying to get in. Something that growled and scratched at our sanctuary, marking its presence. And I with Max by my side, was left with no choice but to face whatever was lurking in the storm. This was not the peaceful retreat I had envisioned. This was a chilling encounter I had not prepared for. The reality of the claw marks left me in a state of shock. What was lurking outside our cabin was clearly not just a product of our fears. Something was stalking us, threatening our haven. Max seemed to sense my distress. He stayed close, his protective nature in full display. The day was spent in tense anticipation. Every sound, every creak, every shift of the wind held me in its grip. I tried to distract myself by maintaining the warmth of the cabin and ensuring we had enough provisions to see us through the storm. However, my mind kept straying to the horrifying presence lurking just beyond our cabin walls. With the blizzard still howling outside, going out was not an option. We were trapped. I decided to prepare for the worst-case scenario. I barricaded the windows and doors with whatever I could find. I had never felt more grateful for my love of books. Their weight came in handy. Max helped in his own way, his presence providing me the strength I needed to push through. As the long day bled into an even longer night, the strange noises returned with a vengeance. Growls resonated, deep and guttural, accompanied by the relentless scratching against the cabin. Max whimpered, his eyes wide. I held him close whispering reassurances I myself didn't believe. And then, with a crash that nearly stopped my heart, a window shattered. A gust of freezing wind tore through the cabin, carrying with it a monstrous growl. Max barked furiously, lunging toward the broken window. I grabbed the fireplace poker, my fingers numb with fear. A dark shadow loomed outside the broken window, its form obscured by the swirling snow. I screamed, out of fear, defiance, desperation, I brandished the poker, trying to appear threatening. The figure moved, retreating into the darkness. Max barked a few more times before retreating to my side. We were both shaking, both terrified. I hurriedly covered the broken window with a thick woolen blanket and moved a heavy bookshelf in front of it. Then I stoked the fire, making sure the cabin was as warm as possible. Max remained close to me, his usually cheerful demeanor replaced by a wary vigilance. 
I tried to keep my composure for his sake, but inside, I was coming apart. We huddled by the fire, keeping an eye on the makeshift barricade. The blizzard howled, as if mourning our lost peace. For the first time since our arrival at Shiver Point, I wished I were back in the city, amidst the noise and chaos, far from this isolated terror. As the night wore on, we sat vigilant, braced for the next attack. But aside from the relentless storm, the night was quiet. It felt like a temporary ceasefire in an invisible war. But there was no relief in this silence. Instead, it was a chilling reminder of the unknown terror that lurked outside, a predator playing a long game. And we, a man and his dog, were pawns in its deadly game. As dawn broke, the blizzard had subsided to a dull roar. The world outside was a harsh expanse of white, still and silent. The events of the previous night seemed like a nightmare, but the broken window and the claw marks served as chilling reminders of our predicament. Max and I were prisoners in our own refuge, stalked by an unseen threat. I spent the morning securing the cabin further, reinforcing our makeshift barricades. Max kept watch, his keen senses alert to any sounds out of the ordinary. The realization of our isolation hit me hard. We were cut off from the world, trapped in a game of survival against an unknown beast. The landline was dead, and my cell phone showed no signs of service. The nearest neighbor was miles away, unreachable in the harsh weather. We were alone in our struggle. I spent the day devising a plan. If we were to survive, I needed to know what we were up against. Armed with a flashlight and my trusty fireplace poker, I decided to explore the surroundings once the storm lightened. Max, my faithful companion, would be at my side. I waited for the twilight hours, when the visibility was slightly better, and the temperatures a little less lethal. The prospect of stepping out of the cabin filled me with dread, but I knew it was our only chance at understanding our predicament. As I stepped outside, the cold hit me like a physical force. Max stuck close, his ears pricked, his body tense. I followed the tracks that circled the cabin. They were unlike any I had seen before. Large, with sharp indentations indicating claws, they led into the dense forest. The sight of the tracks sent a chill down my spine. Whatever was stalking us was large, and judging by the tracks, it was not afraid to come close to the cabin. We followed the tracks, my flashlight cutting through the gloom. I kept a hand on Max, drawing comfort from his presence. As we ventured deeper into the woods, an overwhelming sense of foreboding engulfed me. I strained my ears for any sounds, but all I could hear was the wind howling through the trees and Max's soft whimpers. Suddenly I noticed a cave partially obscured by a snowdrift. The tracks led straight into it. I shone the flashlight into the cave, but it was too dark to see anything. A chill ran down my spine. This was it. This was where the beast resided. I knew I couldn't face the beast on my own, not without a plan, not without a weapon. We needed to get back to the cabin, prepare ourselves for the confrontation. Max and I hurried back to the cabin, the eerie silence of the forest urging us to move faster. As we reached the safety of the cabin, I knew our peaceful getaway had turned into a nightmare. We had seen where the beast lived, and it was too close for comfort. That night, I barely slept, my mind racing with plans and fears. We were no longer just visitors to Shiver Point. We were prey in a deadly game of cat and mouse, and we had to fight back if we were to survive. The day broke with the promise of another long, hard battle against the storm and our unseen tormentor. The discovery of the cave had ramped up my anxiety, but it also filled me with a grim resolve. 
We needed to stand our ground for our survival. After a quick breakfast, I set about making preparations. I used my limited knowledge from survival shows and horror movies, improvising with what I had at my disposal. My first order of business was to make some form of weapon. The fireplace poker had been a reliable companion, but I needed something more. I found a hunting knife in the cabin's supply closet. Its weight and sharpness gave me a boost of confidence. I fashioned a spear by attaching the knife to one end of a sturdy broomstick, securing it tightly with strips of cloth. It was crude, but it would have to do. I also took some time to strengthen our barricades, piling more furniture against the doors and windows. I kept an eye on the cave's direction, praying the beast would remain in its lair during daylight. Max, sensing the urgency, stayed by my side. His unwavering loyalty was comforting in the face of our grim situation. I reassured him with gentle pats and soothing words, promising him that we would make it out of this. By evening, I felt as ready as I could be. The storm had lessened, but the fear of what lay outside remained. I had a simple but dangerous plan. Lure the creature to the cabin, and then take it down with my homemade spear. We ate a small meal, waiting for the darkness to fall. The silence was heavy, tension crackling in the air. Max and I settled by the fireplace, both alert to every sound. The wind continued to howl, carrying with it an echo of the ominous growls we had grown to dread. As darkness enveloped the cabin, I took a deep breath, bracing myself. The plan was set. I opened a small slit in our barricade, just enough to let out some of the warm, inviting light from inside the cabin. If everything I knew about predators was true, the light and warmth would draw the beast towards us. I took my position by the door, spear at the ready, with Max at my side. His growls were low and continuous, his body coiled tight. The waiting was torturous. Every second felt like an eternity, every sound a potential threat. And then, we heard it. A low growl, deep and guttural, much closer than before. The scratching started, slow and deliberate, like the creature was savoring the anticipation. Max responded with a growl of his own, a clear warning of the confrontation to come. The die was cast. We were ready to face our enemy, ready to fight for our survival. In the heart of the storm, within the confines of our besieged refuge, a battle was about to begin. The beast's growls grew louder, its scratches more insistent. My heart pounded in my chest as I gripped the spear tighter. Max barked, a sound filled with defiance and fear. I could feel him trembling beside me, but he stood his ground, refusing to back down. Then, with a force that shook the cabin, the beast slammed against the door. I stumbled back, barely maintaining my grip on the spear. Max's barks were now frantic, filled with fear and fury. The door groaned under the impact but held firm. For a moment, everything was silent. Then, in the eerie quiet, I heard a sniffing sound, the beast investigating the small slit I had left in the barricade. I held my breath, praying the creature wouldn't breach the cabin. In the flickering firelight I saw its eye, a yellow glow peering through the slit. It was enormous, feral, reflecting a primal hunger that sent shivers down my spine. It blinked once, its gaze fixed on me. Then, with a monstrous roar, it charged at the door again. This time the door gave way, splintering under the impact. I was thrown back, landing hard on the floor. Max raced towards the creature, barking ferociously. In the chaos, I could make out the beast's form. It was massive, covered in thick fur, its snout filled with razor-sharp teeth. 
It was like nothing I had ever seen before. I scrambled to my feet, my spear in hand. Max was circling the creature, keeping it distracted. The cabin was filled with growls, snarls, and the acrid scent of fear. My fear. Summoning my courage, I lunged at the beast, driving the spear into its side. It roared in pain, swiping at me with a massive paw. I rolled away just in time to avoid its deadly claws. Max took advantage of the creature's distraction, launching himself at it. He bit down hard on its hind leg, his teeth sinking into the thick fur. The creature roared again, thrashing about, trying to shake Max off. Seeing an opportunity, I lunged again, aiming for the beast's exposed belly. My spear found its mark. The creature let out a horrendous sound, a mix of a growl and a wail, and stumbled back, Max releasing its grip and darting back to my side. The beast, hurt and clearly disoriented, eyed us warily. It took a step back, its gaze shifting between me and Max. Then with a final growl, it turned and fled the cabin, disappearing into the storm. We were left in the aftermath of the battle, panting, shaking, but alive. We had faced the beast and lived to tell the tale. The cabin was a mess, the broken door a grim reminder of the night's events. But it didn't matter. We had survived, and that's all that mattered. As I tended to Max's minor wounds and fortified the broken door as best as I could, I knew our fight wasn't over. The beast was still out there, and the storm was still raging. But we had gained something invaluable, a fighting chance. The adrenaline had worn off by the time dawn broke. The events of the night seemed like a surreal dream, a nightmare that had left tangible traces in its wake. The broken door, the damaged furniture, the disarray inside the cabin all bore testament to the battle that had transpired. Max and I were both exhausted, but the light of the day brought a renewed determination. Inspecting the damage in daylight, I found blood traces on the floor, a dark and stark contrast to the cabin's wooden finish. It was from the creature, proof that we had inflicted some damage. Outside, the storm had finally receded, leaving behind a desolate, snow-covered landscape. The world felt calm, eerily silent after the tumultuous night. I felt a pang of dread looking at the blood, realizing that we had probably angered the creature more than deterred it. But the sight also ignited a spark of hope. We weren't defenseless, and we had managed to hurt the beast. Max, recovering from the night's ordeal, was unusually quiet. I checked him over for any wounds, relieved to find nothing serious. We were both survivors, a man and his dog against an unknown entity. The urgent need to connect with the outside world was growing. I examined the landline once again, fiddling with the wires in the vain hope that I'd missed something the last time. No luck. My cell phone was just as useless, the lack of signal a reminder of our isolation. The daylight hours were spent fortifying the cabin again. I managed to find some tools and leftover wood in a storage shed not too far from the cabin. My rudimentary carpentry skills were put to the test as I repaired the broken door, reinforcing it with an extra layer of wood. I also fortified the windows, taking no chances this time. While I worked, Max patrolled the perimeter of the cabin, his senses alert to any approaching danger. His bravery and resilience were heartening. We were a team and we had each other's backs. As evening descended, the quiet cabin started feeling like a fortress. The repaired door looked sturdy, the reinforced windows an impenetrable shield against the external threats. The spear was within arm's reach, its sharp edge gleaming menacingly. With the onset of darkness, the memories of the previous night returned with a vengeance.
The storm was gone, but the uncertainty remained. We settled by the fire, a man and his dog against the world, waiting for the night's horrors to unveil. As we braced ourselves for the unknown, I couldn't help but feel a strange sense of unity. We were fighting an unseen enemy in an unforgiving landscape, yet we were not alone. We had each other, and as the saying goes, unity is strength. We were more than just a man and his dog. We were partners, survivors, warriors. Whatever lurked in the darkness, we would face it together. For now, that was enough. The eerie silence of the night hung heavy around us. Max was more restless than before, pacing the cabin and whining softly. His actions unsettled me, knowing his instincts were sharper than mine. I strained my ears, listening for the familiar growl of the creature, but the night remained silent. Hours crawled by without any sign of our nocturnal tormentor. The absence of its terrifying presence was as anxiety-inducing as its growls. The constant anticipation of an attack was a torture of its own. I kept the spear close, ready to defend Max and myself at the slightest hint of danger. Despite the tense atmosphere, fatigue eventually caught up with me. I drifted in and out of a restless sleep, jolting awake at the smallest of sounds. Each time Max would be alert and watching, his eyes reflecting my own fear and uncertainty. Then, without warning, the cabin's power went out. The sudden plunge into darkness sent my heart racing. I fumbled around, searching for the flashlight, my breaths coming out in ragged gasps. The only sound in the blackness was Max's low growl, a sure sign of an approaching threat. With trembling hands, I managed to switch on the flashlight. Its beam cut through the darkness, casting long, menacing shadows on the walls. Max was standing at the door, his body rigid, his eyes focused on something outside. The soft crunch of snow underfoot sent chills down my spine. The creature was back. I gripped the spear, my palms sweaty, my pulse skyrocketing. This was it, another confrontation, another fight for survival. But the expected assault didn't come. Instead, there was a scratching sound, slow and deliberate, echoing in the deathly silence of the cabin. It was at the door first, then one of the windows, then back at the door. It was as if the creature was toying with us, enjoying the terror its actions were inciting. Then, the most horrifying sound filled the cabin, the creature's growl, louder and more ferocious than ever. It wasn't the sound of a beast kept at bay. It was the triumphant roar of a predator closing in on its prey. Max barked, a clear challenge to the beast outside. I was terrified, but there was no turning back. We were cornered, and our only option was to fight. With the beast growling outside and Max barking inside, the cabin felt like a battleground, charged with fear and defiance. The darkness felt oppressive, the silence between the beast's growls almost suffocating. Yet there was a strange calmness within me. I had fought before, and I could fight again. As the night wore on, we kept our vigil, waiting for the storm to break. Every sound, every shadow sent a surge of adrenaline through me, keeping me on high alert. But as the minutes turned into hours, the beast remained outside, its presence a silent threat. The calm before the storm was truly upon us. It was a terrifying wait, a game of nerves being played in the heart of the wilderness. It was only a matter of time before the silence would be shattered. We could only hope to survive what came next. The night felt like a century, each passing minute an agonizing march towards an inevitable confrontation. Just as the first hint of dawn began to creep over the horizon, the silence was shattered. 
With a thunderous roar, the creature launched itself against the cabin door. The reinforced door held, but barely. I could hear the wood straining, threatening to give way under the beast's relentless attacks. Max and I held our ground, ready to fight, ready to protect our sanctuary. With a final, terrifying slam, the door splintered. The creature, larger and more horrifying in the flesh, loomed in the doorway. Its eyes glowed in the dim light, locked onto me with an eerie intelligence. I stood, spear raised, frozen by the monstrous sight. Max was the first to break the standoff, launching himself at the creature with a snarl. The distraction gave me the precious seconds I needed to regain my composure. I charged, driving my spear into the creature's side with all the strength I could muster. The beast roared in pain, swiping at Max with a massive claw. Max yelped and skidded to the side, narrowly avoiding the beast's attack. The sight of Max in danger fueled my adrenaline, and I stabbed the beast again, this time aiming for its massive torso. The creature howled, the sound echoing through the cabin and sending a shiver of fear down my spine. It reared back, pulling the spear from my grip and knocked me to the ground with a swift swipe of its paw. Dazed, I crawled towards the fallen spear, each movement agony. The creature, bleeding and enraged, turned towards Max. The sight of the beast advancing on my defenseless companion cleared the fog from my mind, and I grabbed the spear, standing between Max and the monster. With a primal yell, I thrust the spear forward one final time. The beast roared, a sound filled with pain and surprise, as the spear found its mark in its heart. Its movements faltered, its glowing eyes dimmed, and with a final shuddering breath, it collapsed onto the cabin floor. Panting, I dropped the spear and fell to my knees, exhaustion crashing over me. Max, whimpering and limping, came over to nuzzle against me. We had survived. We had fought and won against an unimaginable terror. The dawn light filtered into the cabin, illuminating the fallen beast. It was a grotesque sight, a creature from nightmares, but it was defeated. The real world seemed to seep back into our surroundings, the early morning chirping of birds feeling surreal after the horror-filled night. Max and I had faced an unknown entity, a terrifying predator, and we had survived. As the adrenaline drained from me, I felt an overwhelming wave of relief. The nightmare was over, the enemy defeated. We were alive, and for the first time since we arrived at this cabin, I felt a glimmer of hope. Despite our injuries and the trauma, I knew we would recover. We were more than survivors, we were fighters. As the sun rose, casting its warm light into our battered refuge, I hugged Max, grateful for his companionship, for his bravery. Together we had endured, and together we would heal. The days following the final confrontation passed in a haze of pain and relief. Max and I were both injured, but alive. The dead creature lay frozen in the snow outside the cabin, a gruesome reminder of our ordeal. We kept to ourselves, nursing our wounds and recovering our strength. The once fearsome cabin now felt strangely safe, as if the beast's demise had lifted a malevolent curse from it. Days turned into a week, and our wounds slowly healed. My body was a patchwork of bruises, but the pain was a comforting reminder of our survival. Max limped less each day, his resilient spirit evident in his recovery. A change came on the eighth day. A faint humming sound filled the air, a sound foreign yet familiar. It was the hum of an engine, growing louder with each passing second. I stepped outside the cabin, squinting against the sunlight, and watched in disbelief as a helicopter emerged over the tree line. 
The sight of the rescue team descending from the helicopter was the most welcome sight I'd seen in days. We were found. We were going home. Max barked, a sound filled with relief and joy. I dropped to my knees, hugging him close as tears of relief streamed down my face. The rescue team was taken aback by the scene they encountered. A wrecked cabin, a man and his dog with a story too surreal to believe. The physical evidence was undeniable, but the beast somehow vanished. We had survived something extraordinary. The journey back home was a blur. The hospital stay was filled with questions from doctors and police. But amidst the chaos, there was relief. We were safe. We were alive. We were heroes. The world moved on, but the memory of our fight stayed with me. Max and I, we shared an unspoken bond, forged in the heart of that snowy wilderness, strengthened by the terror we'd faced together, our story becoming the stuff of urban legends. But beneath the attention and the awe, we shared a quiet understanding. We knew the truth of our experience, the fear, the fight, the victory. In the end, we returned to our peaceful life. There were nightmares, moments of terror that woke us in the middle of the night. But they became less frequent, fading into the realm of bad dreams. Life had thrown us into an extraordinary circumstance, and we had emerged stronger. Our story became a symbol of resilience and survival. Max and I, we were more than just a man and his dog. We were fighters, survivors. We faced a terrifying beast and came out victorious. It was an experience that changed us, shaped us, defined us. In the end, life returned to normal, or at least as normal as it could be for a man and his dog who had faced the unimaginable and lived to tell the tale. We had survived, and that's all that mattered. We were home, together, and for us, that was enough. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today was supposed to be an adventure, a retreat from our city lives. Anna and I had been planning this trip to my Uncle George's cabin for months. It was our chance to break away from the endless grind of our jobs and breathe in some fresh air, surrounded by the verdant beauty of the Pacific Northwest. As we loaded up the car, I could feel a flutter in my stomach, a mix of excitement, 
and a hint of nervousness. Anna was practically bouncing off the walls. Her long auburn hair shimmered in the morning sun as she chatted nonstop about the hikes we'd take, the wild animals we'd spot. I just nodded, my mind elsewhere, thinking about the long drive ahead. The drive started off uneventfully, the highway stretching out before us like a giant gray snake, weaving its way through the lush greenery. Anna was in charge of the music. She had a playlist ready, filled with songs that she claimed were perfect for a road trip. It was a mishmash of classic rock, country, and some indie artists I'd never heard of. I've always loved the Pacific Northwest, its mountains, its rivers, the immense pine forests. The evergreen trees towered over us as we ventured deeper into the wilderness. I remember looking out the window, marveling at the dense forests that seemed to extend endlessly, a sea of emerald green. There's something humbling about being surrounded by nature on such a grand scale. As we were approaching the midway point of our journey, I noticed the clouds. They had been few and far between when we started, but now they hung low and heavy in the sky. I could feel a change in the air, a drop in the temperature. An involuntary shiver ran down my spine. I think we're in for some weather, I remember saying, my eyes glued to the gathering storm clouds. Anna turned from the window, her eyes wide and filled with an adventurous glint. Oh, it'll be fun. Imagine us tucked in the cabin with a roaring fire while it snows outside. I loved her optimism, her ability to see a silver lining in every situation. But I had this feeling, this sense of unease that gnawed at me. The vast, stretching landscapes that were beautiful a moment ago now felt ominous. We continued our drive, the landscape around us growing increasingly white as the snow started to fall gently at first. However, the weather in the Pacific Northwest is as unpredictable as it gets. Before we knew it, the gentle snowfall had transformed into a ferocious snowstorm. We found ourselves driving through a world turned ghostly white, our windshield wipers working overtime to clear the rapidly accumulating snow. The once inviting wilderness felt alien and menacing. It wasn't long before it became clear that we couldn't go any further. We had to seek shelter. Thankfully, an old gas station appeared in the distance like a beacon in the storm. Little did we know then that our adventure was just about to turn into something far more terrifying. As we pulled into the gas station, I felt a momentary sense of relief. The building was aged, a relic from a different time, yet it was a beacon of civilization in this engulfing whiteness. I hope they have some hot coffee, Anna said, her voice shivering slightly as she zipped up her coat. I glanced at her and gave a weak smile the knot in my stomach tightening. The once bustling city girl seemed so out of her element here, I felt a surge of protective instinct. Stay in the car, I'll go check. I stepped out into the biting cold, pulling my jacket tight around me. The snow was falling heavier now, almost blinding. The icy wind whipped across my face as I made my way towards the gas station, leaving a stinging sensation in its wake. Inside, the gas station was deserted, except for an old man behind the counter probably the owner. He gave me a curt nod as I entered, his face lined with age and etched with a weariness that seemed to reflect the harsh environment outside. I quickly bought some supplies, paid for a full tank of gas, and filled a thermos with coffee. As I returned to the car, I couldn't shake off the unease that clung to me like a second skin. Back in the car, Anna's face lit up as she saw the coffee. We sat in silence, sipping the steaming brew, 
watching as the storm raged outside, turning the world into a featureless white canvas. As the night crept in, the storm showed no signs of relenting. The temperature inside the car started to drop, and we bundled up in the spare blankets from the back seat. It was a long, cold night, punctuated by the howl of the wind and the rhythmic thump of snow hitting the car. Just when I thought things couldn't get any worse, I saw it. A figure standing at the edge of the tree line, just within my field of vision. The snow fell around it, creating an eerie halo around the dark silhouette. I squinted, trying to decipher the shape, but it was just too far and too obscure. What is it? Anna asked, her voice breaking through my concentration. I jumped slightly, not realizing I'd been holding my breath. I pointed towards the figure, now just a darker patch in the white landscape. There, do you see it? Anna stared in that direction, squinting her eyes, trying to make sense of the sight. After what seemed like an eternity, she shook her head. I don't see anything, Jack. My heart pounded in my chest. The snowflakes continued to fall, covering everything in a shroud of white, and I couldn't shake the image of the figure. Was it my mind playing tricks? Or was there really someone, or something, out there watching us? The weight of our isolation, magnified by the relentless storm, seemed to close in around me. We were truly alone, or so I hoped. The night stretched on, the storm outside showing no signs of letting up. It was a strange white world outside our car, the gas station lights struggling to penetrate the snowy haze. It was eerily quiet, too, with just the sound of our breathing and the muffled howl of the wind for company. My mind kept wandering back to the strange, shadowy figure I'd seen in the tree line. I kept looking out the frosted window, straining my eyes for any sign of movement, but the figure seemed to have disappeared, swallowed up by the relentless storm. It left me feeling on edge, questioning my own senses. I decided to keep it to myself, not wanting to worry Anna. But I could tell she sensed something was off. She'd been quiet for a while now, lost in her thoughts. She looked out the window, her brows knitted together in a deep frown. Do you think we're safe here? She finally asked, her voice barely above a whisper. I hope so, I replied, trying to keep my own voice steady. I reached over, giving her hand a reassuring squeeze. I hoped it was enough to convince both of us. We tried to distract ourselves with small talk, even attempting to play a round of I Spy, but it was hard to keep up the charade. Our laughs felt hollow, our conversation stilted. The atmosphere in the car was thick with unspoken fears. It must have been hours later when I saw it again. The figure, standing at the edge of the tree line, staring towards us. This time, there was no mistaking it. Its shadowy form was unmistakable against the backdrop of the snow-laden forest. Anna, I began, my voice shaking. Look. She turned her gaze in the direction I was pointing. The color drained from her face as she spotted the figure. What is that, Jack? She murmured, her voice barely audible. I don't know. I admitted, my heart pounding against my ribcage. It's the same figure I saw earlier. It was standing still, its form vague and indistinct due to the distance and snowfall, but its presence was undeniable, adding a chilling edge to the frozen landscape. What do you think it wants? Anna asked, her voice small. I have no idea, I confessed, my eyes never leaving the figure. It was a presence that didn't belong, yet there it was a dark stain on the pure white canvas of the snowstorm. The figure stood there, unmoving, as if watching us. Fear curled in my stomach, a cold realization setting in. 
We were stranded in a storm, miles from anyone, with an unknown entity lurking nearby. We were, for all intents and purposes, trapped. Eventually, the figure disappeared again, fading back into the snowy wilderness as mysteriously as it had appeared. But its presence lingered, an ominous reminder that we were not alone in the storm. The rest of the night was a blur of anxious glances and whispered reassurances, the cold reality of our situation gnawing at us. I realized then that we were not merely battling the elements, but something far more sinister. The arrival of morning brought no immediate relief. The world outside was still a haze of white, the storm continuing its onslaught. But eventually, as the morning wore on, the snow began to lighten, the violent swirls slowing to a more gentle flurry. A snowplow appeared eventually, a sight that brought a sense of hope and relief. We watched in silence as it cleared the road, creating a path through the blanket of white. The storm had transformed the landscape overnight, the familiar green of the Pacific Northwest hidden beneath a thick layer of snow. Should we continue? Anna asked, looking at me. Her eyes were wide and tired, the events of the night reflected in their depths. The shadowy figure had left an imprint on both of us. Yeah, we should, I replied, my voice firm. We can't stay here. We have to reach the cabin. As we started our journey again, we were met with a world entirely different from the one we'd been in just a day before. The roads were now a slippery, treacherous path, the surrounding trees bending under the weight of the snow. It was eerily beautiful yet intimidating, a testament to the unforgiving side of nature. We traveled in silence, each lost in our thoughts. My mind kept circling back to the shadowy figure we'd seen. Its silent, ominous presence had left a chilling effect. As I drove, I kept glancing at the rearview mirror, half expecting to see the figure lurking at the edge of the tree line. Jack, Anna finally broke the silence. About that figure, do you think it could be? She trailed off, but I understood what she was implying. I wanted to dismiss her fears, tell her it was just a trick of the light or a figment of our imagination. But the gut-wrenching fear I'd felt when I'd seen the figure prevented me from doing so. I don't know, Anna, I confessed, gripping the steering wheel tighter. But we'll be safe at the cabin, I promise. We continued our journey, the cabin our only goal. The storm had passed, leaving in its wake a landscape both beautiful and daunting. But its beauty was lost on us, replaced by a creeping sense of dread. As we neared the cabin, nestled in the heart of the forest... I couldn't help but feel a pang of anxiety. It was supposed to be our safe haven, our escape from the world. But now, it felt like we were walking into the unknown. As the cabin came into view, the last rays of the setting sun painting it in a soft, warm glow, we couldn't shake off the unease that clung to us. The shadowy figure had faded into the backdrop of our journey, yet its presence seemed to linger, adding a chilling undercurrent to our anticipation. We're here, I announced pulling the car up the driveway. We were finally at the cabin, our intended sanctuary. But the question remained, were we truly safe, or had we just ventured deeper into the heart of the unknown? The cabin was everything I remembered, and more. It was a sturdy structure, a mix of timber and stone that had withstood the test of time and weather. Nestled among the towering pines, it seemed like a part of the landscape itself. But tonight, it felt different less inviting and more imposing. We unloaded the car quickly, eager to escape the cold. Once inside, I lit the fireplace, the crackling flames providing a comforting warm glow. We huddled near it, 
drinking in its warmth, our cold bodies slowly thawing. As the cabin warmed up and our frozen limbs loosened, we ventured to explore. The cabin was exactly as Uncle George had left it. The living room was cozy with overstuffed couches and a small bookshelf filled with nature books and old novels. The kitchen was small but well-equipped, and the bedrooms were quaint with rustic wooden furniture. Let's try to get some sleep, I suggested, stifling a yawn. The events of the day had taken their toll, the exhaustion seeping into our bones. I woke up to a strange noise later that night. It was a soft rustling, followed by an eerie thud. I lay in the darkness, heart pounding, straining my ears for any other sound. Did you hear that? Anna whispered, her voice trembling. I did, I admitted, reaching out to hold her hand. We lay in silence, listening to the strange sounds outside the cabin. It was unlike anything we'd heard before, an odd mixture of rustling, thumping, and an occasional low growl. Do you think it's a bear? Anna asked, her voice barely audible. I'm not sure, I whispered back, my mind racing with possibilities. The sounds seemed to continue for a while, echoing in the stillness of the night, before eventually fading away. We lay there in silence, the fear slowly receding, replaced by confusion and concern. As the sun peeked through the curtains the next morning, we stepped outside, half expecting to see signs of a wild animal. But there was nothing. No tracks, no markings, nothing to suggest the presence of an animal or anything else. I couldn't shake off the unease, the strange sounds still fresh in my memory. We were in the heart of the wilderness, with nature's creatures as our neighbors. But the noises we'd heard didn't belong to any animal I knew. We spent the day exploring the surroundings, hoping to find anything that could explain the strange occurrences. But the wilderness offered no clues. The snow-covered landscape lay pristine, its beauty marred by our growing apprehension. As night fell, we retreated back into the cabin, the unsettling events casting a long shadow on our spirits. We were in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, in a beautiful cabin surrounded by breathtaking scenery. But instead of the calm, we found ourselves in the midst of an unfolding mystery, a lurking figure in the wilderness, and a symphony of unexplained sounds. The isolation we had sought was becoming a haunting reality, and we couldn't shake off the feeling that we were not alone. The next few days were an unsettling blur. Each day brought more snow, adding to the thick white blanket enveloping the cabin. The snowy landscape was beautiful, but its beauty was overshadowed by a creeping sense of unease. Inside, the cabin was warm and cozy, providing some semblance of normalcy amidst the growing uncertainty. We spent our days reading, cooking, and stoking the fire. Yet the shadowy figure and the odd noises at night loomed over us, an unspoken fear that we carried with us. As the sun dipped below the horizon each day, my heart would pound in my chest. Nighttime was a reminder of our isolation, magnified by the strange happenings. I could see the fear in Anna's eyes too, her cheerful demeanor waning as night approached. On the third night, I saw it again. The figure standing at the edge of the tree line, its silhouette barely discernible in the dim moonlight. It stood still, an ominous shadow against the snow-covered trees. I woke Anna up, pointing at the figure through the window. She gasped, her hand flying to her mouth. There was no questioning it now. We were being watched, observed by an entity whose intentions we couldn't fathom. What do we do, Jack? Anna whispered, her eyes wide with fear. We're stuck here. I know. 
I murmured, my mind racing. We need to stay calm, stay indoors. We have enough supplies to last us a while. Over the next couple of days, the figure continued its silent vigil. It didn't come any closer, always appearing at the edge of the tree line, an unwelcome spectator to our life in the cabin. The strange noises continued as well, an eerie soundtrack to our fears. They were more frequent now, the rustling, thumping, and occasional growls echoing in the stillness of the night. We stayed up, huddled together, listening to the unsettling symphony of sounds. One morning, I found strange markings on the snow around the cabin. They were unlike any animal tracks I'd seen. They were larger, more irregular, and had a strange pattern, almost like a symbol. I took pictures of them, hoping to identify them later. We need to leave, Jack, Anna insisted one night, her voice trembling. I can't take this anymore. This isn't normal. I know, I agreed, feeling a chill run down my spine. But we can't risk driving in this snow. We'll be sitting ducks. We need to wait for a clear day. We decided to stay put for now, waiting for the weather to improve. The cabin was supposed to be our safe haven, our retreat from the world, but it was turning into a chilling experience, an ordeal we hadn't signed up for. As the nights grew longer and the days colder, the sense of dread escalated. We were in a picturesque cabin in the Pacific Northwest, surrounded by snow-covered trees and a vast wilderness. But the beauty of our surroundings was lost on us, replaced by fear and uncertainty. We were being observed, haunted by a shadowy figure whose presence brought nothing but dread. The feeling of isolation was intense, a chilling reality that we couldn't escape. One morning I found an old diary hidden in a drawer in the living room. It was a small, worn-out book, its leather cover aged by time. On opening it, I found entries dating back years, possibly decades. The handwriting was old-fashioned, the words etched in ink with a quill pen. It seemed to belong to the original owner of the cabin, a man named Elias. He had written about his life, about the beauty of the wilderness, and the solitude it offered. But as I flipped through the pages, I came across entries that sent chills down my spine. Elias had mentioned a shadowy figure in his writings, an entity that watched from the tree line. The description was eerily similar to what we had been witnessing. The strange noises, the markings, everything matched. It was as if Elias was describing our own experiences. As I delved deeper into the diary, I discovered more about Elias's experiences. He wrote about feeling constantly watched, about strange sounds at night, and about an unshakable sense of dread. He even mentioned having seen peculiar symbols drawn in the snow, symbols uncannily similar to those we had found. It's the same, Anna whispered, her voice barely audible as she read over my shoulder. It's exactly the same as what we're experiencing. The diary was a revelation, a disturbing link between the past and the present. It suggested that we weren't the first ones to encounter the figure. It had been there for decades, observing, lurking in the shadows. I can't believe this, Anna said, her eyes wide with fear and disbelief. This, this can't be a coincidence. I know, I agreed, my mind reeling, but at least now we know we're not imagining things. We're not alone in this. The diary didn't provide any answers, but it did confirm our experiences. We weren't alone in our encounters with the figure. It had been there for years, a silent observer in the wilderness. We spent the rest of the day in a state of shock, the diary's revelations weighing heavily on our minds. 
We were living the same story Elias had lived, an eerie echo of his experiences. As night fell, the figure appeared again at the tree line, its presence now more intimidating. Armed with the knowledge from Elias's diary, we could no longer deny its existence or dismiss it as a figment of our imagination. The cabin had become a nightmare, its walls echoing with the whispers of the past. We were caught in a chilling loop of history, trapped in a story that was not our own. The isolation was crushing, the silence of the wilderness punctuated by the soft rustling of the trees and the omnipresent figure lurking in the shadows. The Pacific Northwest had lost its charm, its beauty replaced by a haunting reality. We were in the grip of something we didn't understand, prisoners in a cabin that held more secrets than we could have ever imagined. The weather turned for the worse in the following days. The sky grew darker, heavy with clouds, and the temperature dropped further. Then one evening, snowflakes began to fall, at first lightly, and then in a relentless flurry. Another snowstorm was upon us. We're trapped, Jack, Anna said, her voice choked with fear as she watched the snowfall. We can't leave now. I know, I replied, my heart heavy with dread. We were at the mercy of the weather, trapped in the cabin, surrounded by the silent wilderness and its unseen observer. The snowstorm was harsher this time, the wind howling outside, battering against the cabin. The world outside turned into a whirlwind of snow and ice, visibility reduced to zero. We were truly isolated now, cut off from the rest of the world by the relentless storm. Inside, the cabin offered some protection from the harsh weather. We kept the fire going, the flames providing warmth and a small measure of comfort. But the fear was omnipresent, the dread of the unknown gnawing at our nerves. With nothing else to do, I returned to Elias's diary, scouring his entries for any clues, any hint of what we could do. His writings were filled with fear and confusion, mirroring our own state of mind. But there was a hint of resolution in his words, a determination to understand and confront the shadowy figure. I think Elias tried to communicate with it, I told Anna, sharing my deductions. He writes about going out one night, trying to approach it. He doesn't mention what happened, but after that he seems less scared, more determined. Do you think we should do the same? Anna asked, her eyes wide. I don't know, I replied honestly. The idea was terrifying, but we were running out of options. We passed the night in a tense silence, the wind and snow roaring outside. The figure didn't appear that night, or maybe it was just hidden by the storm. It didn't matter. Its absence did nothing to alleviate our fear. As we huddled together, waiting out the storm, we couldn't shake off the feeling of being watched, even inside the cabin. The walls felt like they were closing in on us, the weight of our situation pressing down. We were trapped in a snowstorm in the middle of the Pacific Northwest, cut off from civilization, in a cabin that held secrets from the past. The shadowy figure hadn't made an appearance, but its presence hung over us, an oppressive cloud of fear. Our sanctuary had turned into a prison, the wild beauty of the wilderness a cold, harsh reality. The storm outside mirrored the storm in our hearts, a whirlwind of fear, confusion, and helplessness. All we could do was wait, hoping for the storm to pass, praying for a chance to escape. The snowstorm lasted for three days. By the time it abated, the cabin was buried in fresh snow. The landscape transformed into a monochrome world of white. The storm had passed, but it had left us more isolated, 
the road to the cabin now completely obscured. On the fourth night, the figure reappeared. It was closer this time, almost at the edge of the clearing around the cabin. In the pale moonlight, I could make out more details. It was tall, with a humanoid form, but its features were indistinct, lost in the dark shadow. Jack! Anna gasped, gripping my hand tightly as she spotted the figure. I see it, I replied, my voice shaking. The figure was closer than ever before, its silent vigil more menacing now. A thought crossed my mind. Elias's attempt to communicate with the figure had led to some change, a shift in the dynamic between him and the entity. Could we attempt the same? I shared my thoughts with Anna. She was understandably scared, but agreed. We can't go on like this, Jack, she said. We need to try something. We decided to venture out the next day. It would be risky, but we were running out of options. When we stepped out of the cabin the next day, the crisp, cold air bit into our skin. The snow was blindingly white under the sunlight, a sharp contrast to the dark figure that had haunted us for days. Hello, I called out, my voice echoing in the silent forest. The figure didn't move, but I felt a shift, as if it was more focused on us. We mean you no harm, Anna called out next. We're just... we're just lost. There was no response, no movement, but the figure didn't disappear. It stood there, almost as if it was listening. We didn't know if our words had any impact, but we had taken a step, just like Elias. We had confronted our fear, acknowledged the presence of the figure. We were still scared, but there was a sense of relief, a small victory against the unseen terror. That night, we fell into an exhausted sleep, our nerves frayed but hearts slightly lighter. The figure continued its vigil, but it seemed less ominous now, more like a silent observer rather than a lurking threat. The isolation of the cabin was still pressing, the silence of the wilderness more pronounced in the wake of the snowstorm. But we were not just passive occupants anymore. We were part of the narrative, taking control of our story. The shadowy figure was still a mystery, its intentions unclear. But we were no longer just its subjects. We had made our stand, declared our presence. We were in this together, Anna and I, fighting our fears, confronting the unknown and that made us feel a little less alone. Days passed in a blur of uncertainty and anticipation. We continued our attempts at communicating with the figure, shouting out into the cold, addressing the silent entity. It never responded, but it didn't disappear either. On the fifth day, as I was exploring the cabin's attic, I found something that stopped me in my tracks, a carved wooden figurine, eerily similar to the silhouette of the figure we'd been seeing, it was an old piece, the wood darkened by age and use. I showed it to Anna, who gasped as she recognized the shape. It was too much of a coincidence to ignore. We had a new piece of the puzzle, but we were still unsure of the bigger picture. Turning to Elias's diary once again, we read it with new eyes, searching for any mention of the figurine. In a much older entry, Elias wrote about receiving the carving from a native tribal elder. The figurine, according to the Elder, represented a guardian spirit of the forest, meant to watch over its domain and those who respect it. It was a revelation. The figure we had been seeing, that had been haunting us, could it be this guardian spirit? Was it watching over us, or warning us? We've been scared of it, Anna said, but maybe it's not here to harm us. The Elder told Elias that the spirit was a protector, I mused, but it also requires respect for the land and its rules. 
our attitude towards the figure changed. It was no longer just a threatening presence. It was possibly an entity tied to the land, its silent vigilance a part of its duty. The knowledge didn't remove our fear completely, but it gave us a new perspective. We began treating the figure, the spirit, with a newfound respect. We acknowledged its presence, talked to it as a guardian of the forest, and strangely enough, the figure seemed less menacing, more like a permanent fixture of the landscape. In the following days, we adjusted to our life in the cabin with our unseen observer. We lived respectfully, mindful of our actions and their potential impact on the environment. The strange sounds continued, the rustling, the thumping, but they were less scary now. They were just sounds of the forest, the wild. The dread and fear began to recede, replaced by an uneasy acceptance. We were in the heart of the wilderness, in the company of a guardian spirit, living a life we had never imagined. We were isolated, cut off from the rest of the world, but we were not alone. The cabin, once our prison, became our home. The shadowy figure, once a source of terror, became our silent companion. And the Pacific Northwest, once a threatening wilderness, became our sanctuary. Our ordeal had changed us. It was not a pleasant experience, but it was an enlightening one. It taught us about fear, about respect, about the raw power of nature. We were part of something bigger, a tiny part of the vast, intricate web of life. And that knowledge brought us comfort, a sense of belonging. The mystery was not fully solved, but the fear was manageable. We were no longer lost. We had found our place, our role in the grand scheme of things. One morning, the weather took a turn for the better. The skies cleared, revealing a pristine blue expanse, a sharp contrast to the snow-laden landscape. We stepped outside, relishing the sunlight, a small but welcome respite. It's beautiful, Anna said, her eyes sparkling as she looked around. I'd forgotten how beautiful it can be. I smiled, pulling her closer. It is, I agreed. It's like the calm after a storm. We spent the day outside, soaking in the sun, clearing some of the snow. We even made a snowman, laughing and teasing each other. It felt like a normal day, a normal couple enjoying a snow day. The figure was there, at the edge of the clearing, but its presence was not as intimidating. We greeted it in the morning and talked to it as we went about our day. It was a strange relationship, but it worked for us. In the evening, we sat by the fire, sipping hot cocoa, listening to the crackling flames and the rustling of the wind. It was a peaceful moment, a slice of normalcy in our extraordinary situation. We should try to leave tomorrow, I suggested. The weather seems to be holding up. The snowplows should have cleared the roads by now. Anna nodded, a look of determination in her eyes. Yes, she agreed. We should get help, let others know about this. We made our plans, discussed our route and the possible challenges. We were ready to venture out of our isolation, to rejoin the world. Before going to bed, we stepped outside, looking at the figure one last time. Thank you, I said, my voice carrying in the silent night for watching over us. The figure didn't move, didn't respond, but I felt a sense of closure, a peaceful end to our strange relationship. That night we slept better than we had in days. We were ready to leave, to end our isolation. The cabin, the figure, the forest, they were all a part of our experience, a memory that would stay with us. But we were ready to move on, to face the world again. The guardian spirit, the figure, had watched over us 
and now we were ready to step out of its domain, to return to our own world. We had spent days in fear, in confusion, but we had come out stronger. We had found our courage, our respect for the land, our place in the grand scheme of things. The Pacific Northwest, with its snow-laden forests, its silent guardian, would always be a part of us. But it was time to say goodbye, to carry our experience, our memories, with us as we stepped into the next chapter of our lives. We packed our belongings the next morning, leaving the cabin as clean and undisturbed as we had found it. The weather held up, the clear skies a perfect canvas for our departure. The figure was there at the edge of the clearing, as silent and still as ever. Goodbye, Anna said, her voice clear and strong. I echoed her farewell, a final acknowledgement of our shared experience. The drive was slow and cautious, the snow on the road packed and icy, but the sun was shining, a beacon guiding us on our journey. As we drove, I couldn't help but glance back at the cabin, a small dot in the vast white expanse. The world outside our isolated cabin came back to life gradually. We passed a snowplow. Its blinking lights were a sign of civilization. We saw a car in the distance, another sign that we were rejoining the world. As we neared the city, the familiar sights filled us with a sense of relief. We were homebound, back to our normal lives. But we were different, changed by our experience, our ordeal. We carried the wilderness with us, the silent guardian, the respect for the land. We reached out to our family and told them about our experience. They were shocked and worried, but relieved that we were safe. We didn't talk about the figure, the guardian spirit. It was our secret, a shared memory that belonged only to us. Life resumed its normal pace, the days filled with work, social engagements, and normalcy. But we carried our experience with us, a constant reminder of our ordeal, our growth, Sometimes, in the quiet of the night, I would find myself thinking about the cabin, the figure. I would remember the rustling of the trees, the silent vigil, the whispering wind. The Pacific Northwest was no longer just a place for us. It was a part of our story, our identity. Looking back, I can't say I regret the experience. It was terrifying, confusing, a test of our courage. But it was also enlightening, a lesson in respect, a journey of self-discovery. We had faced our fears, survived an ordeal, and emerged stronger. We are back in our world now, surrounded by the familiar, the comfortable, but we carry a piece of the wilderness with us, a silent guardian watching over us. The Pacific Northwest, with its silent figure and its snowy landscapes, has left its mark on us. We are the same, yet different. We are survivors, explorers, and learners. We are a part of the vast web of life, small but significant. We are home, but we carry a piece of the wilderness in our hearts. And that makes us feel a little less alone, a little more connected, a little more respectful of the world around us. We are home, but we are also a part of something bigger, something grander, something wilder. And that is our story, our journey, our growth. We are home, but we are also part of the wilderness and that is a story worth telling.